I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yo, check out the award-winning docuseries Elementary Genocide. This docuseries provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. This docuseries features Dr. Umar Johnson, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Kaba Kamene, and so many other people. Check out Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, and the latest installed Elementary Genocide 3, The Academic Holocaust. It's all available now at elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor, and when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news, and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back, and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is Akua of Cultivated Roots Media, and I choose to tune in to Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and I am here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, we have a special in-studio guest, and her name is Candace D. McKinley. And she is a civil rights attorney, education advocate, and proud mother of two after earning her undergraduate degree in psychology from Spelman, Candace went on to earn her teacher's certification at Georgia State and served two years as a first grade teacher in Atlantic Public School. Candace later earned a degree from Florida A and M University College of Law and began practicing unemployment and education law in the 11th Circuit. Candace's passion for improving education in our country was never far out of her mind and eventually led to her work in the office of Senator Michael F. Bennett of the No Child Left Behind and the Elementary and Secondary Education Act reauthorization. Candace is committed to solving issues that directly affect women and children domestically and throughout the diaspora. 
Currently, she serves as a board member of the International Community School in Decatur, Georgia, and Vice President of the United People for African Congress. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Candace to the Necessary Blackness podcast. How are you, Candace? I'm excellent. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yes, and I am glad to have you anytime that we can get someone up here that is doing positive things in the community and that's a gatekeeper of the community it's always a blessing all right now candace is running for a school board number two in north DeKalb county right correct yeah north DeKalb county and we have to do everything we have and everything within our power family to help this sister get on this school board now, many of my listeners might not be in Georgia. Many of my listeners might not live in that district. However, what you can do is you can send a donation. And if you financially strapped, such as myself, you can get on your Instagram, you can get on your Facebook, and you can share her message with the world so that they can support, whether it's financially or just telling someone else. Because we always talk about that we need community control of our community and we need to have those that look like us making key decisions. Well, here you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get Candace D. McKinley into the cab school board number two. All right now. <laughs> so, Candace, my first question to you okay. is, how can we facilitate the growth of our children's mind when the curriculum taught in school doesn't reflect their overall or their worldview? Excellent question. So um, thank you for that powerful introduction. And one of the keys that um, I had to learn when I was teaching in Atlanta public schools is just because, um, you know, I look like my children. We didn't have the same experiences. I grew up in Miami, Florida, and I didn't grow up in Georgia. So I wasn't exposed to racism um, you know, flat out until I got here. And so my children were isolated and people who live here in Atlanta know that we don't have housing communities anymore. But back when I teach, we did. Mm -hmm. And so my kids never left the Bowen Homes community. They never saw anybody that looked different than them. Mm -hmm. So when I came in, they didn't quite know who I was. They didn't know if I was uh, Latino, yeah. if I was white, if I was black, they were like, oh, who is this person? But they knew that I, I cared about them. And that is that is what we have to get back to. Even though we may not all come from the same background, kids know care. They know love. And so when we bring that to the classroom, then we can build on that. And you have to have some kind of cultural relevancy in our classrooms today. Um, like I'm not Jewish. But I need to go and learn more about the Jewish culture because a lot of my community up in North DeKalb is Jewish. And they select not to send their schools to uh, send their kids to public schools. So even though I'm not from that cultural background, I have to have that empathy and know that I need to learn so I can bring that in. And that's what's missing in, in public schools is just not knowing and not. And I, I don't want to get on the teachers, you know, because they have a hard job and I was one too. But we have to find the time and have the empathy and, and know that we have to reach out to learn more about our students and where they come from so that we can reach them. 
All right. Now, one of the things that you said that was very key is that your students, they knew that you cared, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things I like to tell people is that children do not care how much you know until they know how much you care about exactly. them. So they're not even trying to learn from the door unless they know that what you're saying and what you're doing is sincere by nature and it's coming from your heart. And that this is not a job that you just come to at eight in the morning and you clock out at three in the evening. You know, so kids are, are very prone to not resonate with teachers or those that are in authority if they know you're not genuine and they know you don't care. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you something else. In your opinion, how important is it for a student's teacher to share the same cultural and spiritual values? Now, I know you spoke on it a little bit, Mm -hmm. but can you go a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that I can speak from my kids, from my kids' perspective. They're 15 and 12 now. And I tell them, you go to school to learn, but I'm your first teacher at home. We are as family, as, as the community. So... Public schools have not, you know, built that community and collective culture into the curriculum. Most most haven't. Um, but my kids know where they come from. And when you know where you come from, you can reach out to another student, figure out, you know, where they come from. But it's so key. I wish we had more cultural relevancy and cultural teaching in the public schools, but we don't. Because um, we have schools like... Um, the Ron Clark Academy, mm-hmm. um, where you teach a lot from the African perspective, from the African diaspora, because a lot of your students are from African um, yeah. culture. And most children don't get that early on. So like I said, from my, from my kids' perspective, even though they go to school to learn, and I was their first teacher, they know where they come from, and it helps. So when they go into the public school system, they have their own identity, mm-hmm. and they can survive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you don't have that kind of starting point, it, it's difficult. So you have, you know, children trying to be something they're not, um, trying to find their own identity because we as a community haven't done what we needed to do to pour into them, um, you know, K through five or even pre-K. Um, so I don't want to, you know, point the blame game, but it's highly critical. It's highly important. So if parents don't do it, Teachers don't do it. Where are kids getting it from? The parents is the student's first teacher. So mm-hmm. it is very important that parents become proactive in their children's schoolwork as well as their education. I want you to tell me about the situation with your son and how it compelled you to transfer him to another school and how you became this advocate for school education. Sure. Um, when your child comes home crying every other day, you know something is wrong. He was uh, sixth grade, um, never really been into a fight before, didn't know what it looked like. Um, we had just moved from South Fulton over to DeKalb. I needed to make a move for my professional growth as, a, as an attorney in my day job, but my children are my first priority. So he was coming home crying. And I kept saying, like, Mikhail, what's going on? He was like, they're fighting every day. They're just fighting. I said, who is they? He's like, everybody. There's a fight all the time. And I, I was like, okay. We tried to, you know, talk to the teachers, see what's going on. 
Then he had a little cell phone. First time having a cell phone. It was one of them little flip phones just yeah. so I could, you know, see, you know, if I need to talk to him, I could get to him. Someone stole a cell phone. Oh, wow. So it was just like one thing after another. And I would just go up there as a concerned parent, like, what is happening during the day here that he's crying and not learning? There's mm-hmm. a problem. So in the end, I had to take him out. And he's not, you know, a soft, you know, child or anything. But that was a shock to his system. And I wasn't going to allow a situation and environment to take him off his educational pathway because that's my job. So I had to find a school where he could basically catch up from where he had kind of lost some of what he was getting at the school in East DeKalb. I don't want to call the school out. It is one of the lowest performing middle schools in East DeKalb. Um, and I moved to the north side of the cab, where I where I was very aware that the economics was different. Mm-hmm. The schools had what we call international baccalaureate track. They had a lot of different, um, you know, after school programs, chess club. Uh, they call this thing anime club. There's all these different outlets to be creative, and I wanted that for him too. Um, but it was hard. It was hard. And that's what we have to have our kids in as you talk about different activities and certain things you can have your kids involved in. If anybody's familiar with um, Dr. Amos Wilson and his book, he talked about awakening the black genius in the children. Mm -hmm. You have to have these extracurricular activities in order to do that. If not, then you stunt their growth and then you become a co-conspirator and their miseducation, and eventually their demise. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to be back right here on Necessary Blackness Podcast. For those that are tuning in, we are speaking with Candace D. McKinley. And when we come back, she's going to tell us about her opponent, what she expects to do when she does become a school board member, and some more things. So make sure y'all stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. And I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the school to prison pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. This is Shalee. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of The Wonderful from Afros to Shell Toast and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on a necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. (laughs) Now our feature presentation. Peace and Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are back from our quick commercial break. And while we was on commercial break, I was telling Candace about Hillary Clinton and this book that she wrote called It Will Take a Village. 
in this book, she had a very disturbing quote, and it deals with education, and it deals with children. Now, my initial problem is the title of the book, It Takes a Village. And she ain't even from our village, but that's something else. You know, this is necessary blackness, so we're going to keep it all the way black. But her quote is, I believe the primary role of the state is to teach, train, and raise children. Parents have a secondary role, end of quote. Now, as y'all know, I'm a big proponent of education and I don't believe that education should be a training ground for children. It should be an environment where learning and exploring are encouraged and celebrated. But the mother, she will always be the primary teacher. But Candace, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. when you read or you hear that quote, what comes to mind? She was off on, on this, just off base. Um Parents definitely don't have a secondary role. Um, like I said, I was my, I am my children's first teacher. Community experiences, everything before they even hit a school door, we are pouring into them from womb, you know, uh, to five years. They're you're, they're with you. Yeah. Um, so that that's just that's just not. Um, the mindset we need to have now. The state does play a role. That's why I'm running for school board, of course, to be you know at the table to make decisions for our children. But it's not the primary role. And I think that's very dangerous um, to say that the parents are, has a secondary role. And you know you have to let parents be parents. Mm-hmm. And. If something is going wrong in the household, by all means, the state, the government, whatever, you step in. But when you consider yourself as the primary caretaker of a person's education, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's always up to the fa- family. And that's why um, if we study the history of compulsory schooling that was started in the 1800s, then we understand. So it goes back to that with the state making it mandatory for you to go to school. But that's something that um, we need to study and look into, family. Now, let's move right along. Let's talk about uh, the candidate that you're running against and why is it important for Candace D. McKinley to be elected to school board number two in North DeKalb. Well, I like to flip that a little bit. He running against me. To oh, he's running seat. against you. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. No problem. No problem. No problem. So um, there is an incumbent, basically, uh, a Caucasian male that's been in the seat for several years now, and he intends on keeping his seat. He's made it very clear. So if he were to win um, in, in May, that's the primary, May 22nd, make sure I say that again, May 22nd is voting day. He literally would be on the board for a decade. And let's just think about that. A whole 10 years of one person representing one group of people. Um, and in in my belief, not representing the whole district. And so my thought is, if you're going to hold a seat, you have to be accountable to that seat. And you need to speak to all persons that's in your district. Um, for what I understand and what I've seen him do and not do It's just not be a voice for all. Um, There's a particular part of the district that's very affluent that he spends a lot of time in. 
and I haven't seen him much in any part other parts of the district. Um, we have a, a very heavily populated Latino community. Absolutely. In the Cross Keys uh, cluster, that's one of the high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, my child, my, one of my one of my children, uh, Mikhail, my oldest, he's at the Druid Hills High School. Very diverse uh, people uh, coming to school from all over the county. It's a choice kind of IB international baccalaureate school, like I mentioned before. Um, and so to that end, I'm running because. I could take that seat and be the true voice for everybody. I don't see, you know, I would say placating, but the word is just honing in on one group of people. And that's all that I'm representing. Mm. You can't do that as a person who's elected. You got to represent all people in the district. And I want to do that. All children matter and all children should have what they need to excel. And I want to make sure we do that. One example is, I looked on his page. I try not to say his name too much, but y'all can look up and see who's running against me. But um, I looked on his page and, you know, social media tells a lot. He hadn't posted anything since 2016. So what have you been doing for two years? That's something wrong. So he's not even trying to uh, rally the troops and get people to vote for him because he's been on there so long. It's almost like, I got this. Exactly. And how dare anybody come and run against them, especially somebody, you know, they say, you know, I'm young, I haven't been in a district long, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. We know that people are in the highest offices here in, in this country who ain't who has never held a position of political power ever. There was on some, I don't know, media circuit. And now they're in the highest office of our land, so that doesn't even matter. Or they, or they might have been on Celebrity Prentice. Hey, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And another point, too, Raheem, is that I think age makes a difference, too. I mean, I'm not saying that our elders don't have a place, but when you talk about school board and representing our children that are highly tech, you know, and want to be involved in things, I think you need to have somebody closer to their age. And there's no one on our board in the cap that's under 40. Absolutely. And you you talk about um, how it's time to give all students the opportunity to succeed. And I'm looking at your flyer and it's saying what you would make a priority for kids to succeed. Yeah. And one of them is promoting school safety and securing learning environments. Now, with the political climate and the shootings that's done in school, what are some of the things that you probably would um, implement? Well, I've actually thought about this a lot and learned from my practice um uh, doing civil rights litigation. Part of my practice is also personal injury. And um, there's premise cases that I work on. So just think about like when you go to apartment complex, right? Mm-hmm. And most most of the time there's some type of gate or entry um, for you to get on. Or you have to ring the bell, you know, to go see the visitor, something like that. They try to keep their property safe before you can just go in and just, you know, do whatever. Maybe shoot up people, you know, in the apartment complex. So when we have a, a, a homicide, on an apartment complex, we call it a premise case, and we bring in experts to think about how can that place be safer. So one of the things that we have to do in the school setting is think about how can these spaces be safer. Mm. Do we put up barricades? Do we have more entries? Think about the White House. You just can't walk up to the front door of the White House. You you got to stand some feet away. Yeah. You know, you just can't do that. So you have to think through and analyze what is the safest way because. 
inside is our precious commodity, our children. So that's one thing, thinking about how we can do the infrastructure so it's just not a complete entry. Another thing that we haven't thought about and is coming to fruition now is the mental health of our children. I'm glad somebody said. Yeah. And it you it's not going to be a silver bullet, but suicide rates among young people are so high. Uh, Cyberbullying is to the roof. Mm-hmm. And students are seeing their friends commit suicide, thinking about con- uh, committing suicide, and then unfortunately, you know, using weapons to do, you know, uh, the deed or what whatnot. So my thing is having counselors, having more opportunities for students to get to that inner core, what's taking them off their balance before we have another episode. And usually the young people or people in general that's having a mental episode are the victims. They are not the persons who are actually doing a lot of the killing. And I don't want any of your listeners to think that I'm saying that, but mental health in general needs to be evaluated and we need to get our students what they need. Well, you heard it right here on Necessary Blackness Podcast. And for those that are just joining us, we're speaking with Candace D. McKinley. And she is going for and going to get yes, yes. school board district number two. Now, another thing on this list, your priority list, mm-hmm. is saying funding all schools in district equitably. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, being transparent, bringing transparency and fairness to disciplinary process. Yes. I want to talk about those two, right? Sure. Let's talk about the first one because I understand that most schools receive their funding from property tax. Yes. So if you live in a fluent area, your school naturally is going to have more funding. Then you have um, in those same affluent areas where they have a fund where the parents, if they want to give something extra, they give something extra. Exactly. So they went in all the way. Yes. Is there any districts that have where no matter what the income bracket is on this side of town, if you're in this district, the schools all divide up the money evenly? Raheem, you're saying what is supposed to happen in theory, but is not happening in practice. So in my county, North DeKalb, we have Emory, we have the CDC, we have a, you know, big organizations that have a lot of taxes coming from them. Yeah. Um, in South DeKalb, you don't have those big schools and different things like that. So those tax dollars are supposed to go to the district, wherever you are in the county, and then spread out to each of the schools equally. That's what's supposed to happen. Is it happening? No. I sit on the charter school board, um, and I believe in all schools, but some people think charters are private, but they're not. They're public schools, too. But this is an example because I'm sitting there. My particular school that I sit on the board for didn't receive all their funding. Somehow, it got lost. They just tell you it got lost. We don't know where it's at. It's not here. They say that, you know, that some numbers were ran wrong. We, who knows? But I'm saying those things come up and there's no one checking anybody. But if just say if I worked for a law firm for any Fortune 500 company mm-hmm. and my numbers was off, they will bring in 
uh, financial forensic. Exactly. Find out where this money is at. What's going on? Right. And, you know, I'll be looking at some embezzlement charge. Is none of that with this? No. No checks and balance. It is supposed to be. So in this particular example, because it's happening right now, it's, well, it's not us. It was the state. Because you do get state dollars and local dollars to go to the schools. And there's this crazy little formula called QBE. And I won't get into the weeds of that, but it's a very antiquated formula that's supposed to give everybody dollars equally. And it's not happening in the state level either. So um, the district is saying the state calculated our dollars incorrectly. So we couldn't give you those dollars because the numbers came from the state. When they corrected those numbers, the funds are already allocated. So we can't go back. And you know, give what you ought to have had because they were based off numbers that the state gave us. Yeah, well, next quarter somebody else need to be short, and we need to get that 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 reimbursement. But exactly. you know, that ain't gonna happen. Exactly, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so my next one, let's talk about uh, bringing transparency and fairness to disciplinary processes. Right now. I seen you speak at Spelman about the school to prison pipeline and you being a lawyer, I know you represented a lot of parents in certain situations and um, it will definitely be ideal for those that know about the school to prison pipeline or had a family member, you know, that went through that and that live in that district to have somebody on the board that fought against that. Right. Tell me some of the situations that you witnessed and some of the things that you probably would implement so that it doesn't happen ever again. Okay, yeah. So this has been a problem. And let me just give you a backdrop. Why I'm so keen on this, because I've had to represent families and students who are being expelled from um, the districts around the metro brown and black children at the highest rates than any other population inside public schools. Um, The school district has the authority to recommend expulsion or suspension. They don't have to expel. So when you say expel a child from a public schools, that means that they cannot go to any other school in the district, meaning they have to go to homeschool or find a private school. You see what I'm saying? So if mom, dad, or sometimes just mom, cannot homeschool that child or do online learning, where does that child go? Because now he or she is now expelled. So when I go into these districts, and that is the recommendation, I fight against expulsion because I'm trying to keep kids in school. Now, some higher level offenses, and I'm not a criminal lawyer, but something as, you know, putting a, pulling a gun out on another student, that is a referral to juvenile. I'm talking about lower level offenses that violate the student code of conduct that does not have to rise to the level of an expulsion. Let me give you an example. Wearing the wrong socks. Wearing the wrong socks, wrong color. You have a pen in your hand. Yeah. And we're in class. And you're like, Candace, be quiet. And you throw the pen at me and it hits me in my face. That was a weapon as assault charge. Exactly. So in this district... I won't say District A, they consider that that assault with a weapon, automatic transfer to juvenile, and that's it. You're expelled. Now you have Johnny in District Part B who does the same thing, throws a pencil at Susie, 
he gets a slap on the hand. Mediation. Exactly. You see where I'm going with this? So when I say fair processes for discipline, we have to have a floor. So throwing a pencil, is that assault with a weapon or not? Mm. According to the student code of conduct, everybody interprets it differently. And does that offense violate the code and does it result in a straight expulsion? So first we have to get that situated. And then in this interim, before you go to juvenile for an assault or battery, anything like that, there's this little term called a tribunal. And I know most listeners don't know about this because I didn't know about it until Explain I, it to us. Yeah, tribunals. They are in-house hearings that the district um, puts together before they expel or long-term suspend a child more than 10 days. And who sits on these tribunals? Good question. Right? I know the answer. <laughs> I, I, I heard you speak on it when you was at Spelman. Yeah. So the tribunals are not usually lawyers or uh, retired judges. They are usually uh, retired educators um, or principals, administrators, people that are not familiar with the law and supposed to be um, impartial. They're not supposed to take sides. However, they're usually paid by the district. Oh, So you see where I'm going with this? And so in these tribunal hearings, the district brings their attorney. The parent and the student have a right to attorney, but they are not giving one as if they were in a juvenile proceeding. You see the difference? In the tribunal hearings, they're in-house with the district. Parent-student has a right to attorney, but we know when we watch TV, if you can't afford one. You don't get one. You don't get one. And also, parents don't understand that if they waive their right at the tribunal, anything that the district recommends to the tribunal officer stands. So we have situations where a piece of paper is given to the parent. They sign it, not knowing that they're waiving their right to the tribunal, and now their child is kicked out of school. And I have to fight against that, just knowing that these waivers are basically your plea but in the education context. So we have to fight against that. Then when we get to the tribunal hearing, we have to fight against evidence. We've seen it on TV. You just can't allow anything into these hearings. And that's um, that's what usually happens. You have what we call a lot of hearsay. There's not a lot of, you know, real, real cooperation of what happened to determine if there's actually been a violation of the code. Um, so there's a lot that goes on with these hearings. They're not in TV. No one knows that they're going on, but a child's educational future could be derailed for forever. Let me ask you something. I know like in most, um, proceedings, you know, you can file an article 78 challenging an administrative decision. So if you lose at these tribunals, is it the last step or can you go beyond that? You can you can appeal to the local school board, i.e., why I'm running. Yeah. So in the tribunal hearing is held usually at the district. If you do lose, you have a certain amount of days to appeal. It's not a long time, and then they'll be reviewed. Uh, you know, with the district. The unfortunate thing when it's on appeal, the child is still not getting what he or she needs. Mm. Um, probably not able to go back into his or her normal school setting probably at home. And so I'm trying to work to keep the child in school so they're not 
too far off from, you know, from their learning uh, protocols. So the key is there has to be something less than immediate expulsion. So let me ask you a question. Say if a child is given 14 days suspension, right? Mm -hmm. And he loses in the tribunal and then it goes to the school board. Mm-hmm. That can take up to 14 days. So he already served out his suspension. Right. Yeah. So you can have a child sitting at home doing online learning or whatnot until the appeal is finalized. And after that appeal, you still have an additional appeal to the state. But all of this takes time. Time. I'm, and it takes money. It takes money. And most of my clients do not have the funds to pay for an attorney to go through all these processes. A lot of my clients, um, I've taken on a lot of pro, pro bono work through mm-hmm. a wonderful organization I like to plug is Appleseed. Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar with them. They yeah. do a lot with um, especially fighting the school to prison pipeline. They do a lot. Yeah. I use lot. their t- statistics a lot. And um, we represent foster children who uh, doesn't have a parent readily available to go to these hearings with them. So it's a lot that goes um, on behind the scenes before a child is um, determined in violation of the code, a recommendation for long-term suspension or expulsion, and or juvenile referral. And that's a whole nother piece that leads to the school of prison pipeline that I'm trying to avoid. Well, we're going to have you come back and we're going to do a whole segment on the school to prison pipeline because you know that is definitely my subject matter. Yes. But before we get up out of here, you say May 22nd. May 22nd. I'm saying it loud. <laughs> that's the day it goes down and that is the day for... Um, that is my election day. It is not a primary. A lot of people are looking at the governor's race because um, yeah. we may have our first woman governor of Georgia. But in these local elections for school board, May 27th is not the primary. It is the election. So uh, the governor and others will go on to November, but I won't. So I need everybody call your cousins, your friends, people you may know in that area um, to come and vote in the primary, which is my election, May 22nd. And family, I say this all the time, all politics is local. Yes. We have to support this locally right here in Atlanta, DeKalb County. You know freedom ain't free, and we all trying to get free. Let's talk about this fundraiser and how can the Necessary Blackness family help you out. Well, thank you for that. Because yes, these elections are not free, <laughs> and I'm, you know, on an uphill battle going against, you know, an incumbent who's been in the seat. So I need money and people. So money to help me do the flyers and you know the yard signs, all that that you see. Um, there is sophisticated um, data driven ways to win elections now they have to pay for that service so there's a lot of things that i need to pay for and i can't do it alone um so everybody if you write this down i'm gonna say it twice www.candisfordecab.com again that's www.candisfordecab.com and i'll spell it one time c-a-n-d-i-c-e for f-o-r decab d-e-k-a-l decab.com so you go there you can learn more about me and just hit the donate button 
This is a grassroots um, campaign. I don't have packs or anybody backing me. I don't have, you know, the Walmarts and the Koch brothers that others have on their elections. I don't want any of their money. I want us to support each other. Um, This is my first campaign. Hopefully it won't be my last because I'm out here trying to represent my community and do what's best for children. Now, speaking of of representing your community, um, we talk heavily about the school board. But a lot of people don't know that you are a personal injury lawyer mm-hmm. and you do civil litigation. Yes. Do you want to talk about some of the cases you have worked on? Because I, I need y'all to know this family. You know, this is someone that is on the front line and that's fighting for the liberation of our people. So we owe it to her to get her in there. Sure, um, uh, Raheem. I definitely, um, just the other day, We had a hearing, I mean, not a hearing, but the DA uh, down in Louisiana came back with a no, what we call a no bill, um, a no indictment for the officer that brutally shot our client, Alton Sterling. Um, That was a blow, um, but we were prepared in my office because in the years that I've been doing this civil rights work, there hasn't been an officer that's been indicted on the criminal side. I do civil litigation, like Raheem said, but we got to keep fighting within the system that's set up in order for these police misconduct and excessive force cases to end. I don't want to see another sister, brother, anybody killed by law enforcement. And I don't want to, you know, bash, you know, law enforcement, but it's coming to a point where it's just too much. Too many people are getting killed at the hands of officers, and it's just it's just uncalled for. So that is one of the national cases um, that my firm has worked on. We continue to fight for Dalton Sterling family. We also uh, worked on the Walter Scott case out in South Carolina, and locally, um, we're working um, now with the Scott Scout Schultz case, which is a a young man that was uh, killed by law enforcement on a college campus and he was actually having a mental breakdown when he was shot um, one time to the chest um, and and, and just brutally died. So, you know, I've said it on the news and my my stellar um, senior partner, Chris Stewart, who does this work and has taught me so much, um, we're going to continue to fight these cases. So, you know, we can deter the harm that's happening the way that we're doing it is suing. Uh, the police uh, departments for um, these wrongful killings. So we're going to continue to do that until we can work better within the criminal justice system to um, indict some of these officers because that hasn't happened yet. Um, So we're working hard on the civil side to deter through money damages. So that's part of my work. And I I do other civil work. So um, personal injury, motor vehicle, medical malpractice, nursing home neglect. Anytime a person in our community, usually of color, is harmed, our firm is there to help. That's right. You heard it here on Necessary Blackness Podcast. So make sure y'all go out and y'all support Candace D. McKinley. Now, social media is a big thing. How can they find you on social media? Give us all your social media handles. Well, I wish I was that stellar. I don't have that many. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't have... on Twitter? 
A little bit. Okay. A little bit. A little bit. My um my main page is on Facebook. Okay. It's Candace for the Cap, just like my website. Um, Instagram is C McKinley Law. Um, so I kind of do uh, some of my day work and my school board work through my Instagram there. And on Twitter, I'm also C McKinley Law. So Candace for the Cap, Facebook, C McKinley Law, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, you heard it right here first, Raheem Shabazz and Candace D. McKinley. Now, in closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or that you want to say in your last closing words? Um, the only thing I would say is thank you for the support. It's always good to have another brother reach out and say, hey, how can I help? That goes far beyond anything that I could expect in my first race It's just saying, hey, Come on my podcast, speak the truth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was just so powerful. So I want to say thank you. Um, and anything I can do to promote, I will. I just need you to come back up here and let us know what that experience is like being on DeKalb County second board. Is it What is it called? The second uh, board? District 2. District mm-hmm. 2. Yes, I will. When All I right, win this yeah. thing, I'll be this, right let, back. Let us know and, you know, continue to let us know how we can support you in whatever way we can. So that's it for me right here on Necessary Blackness. You can catch us each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Also, make sure you subscribe to our Facebook page. Put in Necessary Blackness Podcast in your search engine on YouTube. And I'll see y'all next week, same time. Peace. Uh, This is Candace D. McKinley. I'm running for school board, District 2. The election is May 22nd. Again, the election is May 22nd. Please come out and vote. Tell your friends, everybody, that Candace D. McKinley is running. And I'm here for all children to have the opportunity to have success in their schools. Thank you so much. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is the lowrider guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton from Compton, California. When I'm traveling around the world or I'm in the car, I got Necessary Blackness podcast on checking out my man, Ryan Shabazz. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me. You heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main Number one cousin from another oven, my man Ryan Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. This is Siraj, founder of the Man in the Mirror Project, hanging out with Raheem Shabazz all the way from the UK, representing that Necessary Blackness podcast. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur M. Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz.